Amen. I want to talk to you about living on leftovers. Living on leftovers. And, and uh, for a while we were really talking about doubt. Living on the, uh, not going into the dark side of doubt. But living on leftovers. And what does it mean to be hungry for the heavenly? Uh, my family uh, lives on leftovers in the natural. And so I have this problem that I will confess to you today is that every time I make spaghetti, I make it for 14 people. There are four people in my household. Two of them are very little. But I don't know why there is this problem. But every time I try to make spaghetti, it's impossible to make it for two people. Go get you ravioli in a can, I guess. But I like spaghetti. But it seems that if I make it, 14 people have to be there to finish it. Otherwise, we are eating on it for a week. Now, it's satisfying. And I won't brag that I make some very good spaghetti that you should all, never mind. But it's, it's good. But I can, you can get to the point where after you've had spaghetti for every lunch and every dinner for seven days, you're kind of sick of it. I'm satisfied with it. And if I could just make a little bit that I could be satisfied and then we could be go on from there. But sometimes you get to a point where you've had so much of a good thing, you can get sick on it, right? There's this thing in Louisiana I found out since coming here is that we have this, this hurricane food thing. I don't know what it is, but there's this movement to go clear out Walmart in the event there possibly could, 20% chance of a hurricane, because you have to have every snack and Little Debbie cake that Walmart ever has to offer. And then chances are that something happens and it doesn't come. Then what do you do? You're eating all this food for a week, right? And you get to the whole, so again, the same thing. You have so much of a good thing that you have to finish it all off uh, and that you get sick of it. And so sometimes... What satisfies us, if it's not completely sufficient, if it's even more than sufficient, we can get sick on it. Sometimes in, uh, in America, I've been on enough missions trips, I've been to enough countries to know uh, that I thank God for things throughout my day sometimes. Whether it be a hot shower, sometimes I just thank God for it because I've been to enough places to know and that's how normal it is. So I went to Haiti in 2005 and... Um, Went to an orphanage there outside of Port-au-Prince, and we were a team of about 20 of us, and, and we were feeding these kids, and we were working on stuff, and we did a lot of evangelism, and, and I'd never been to Haiti before. Actually, that was my first out-of-country missions trip, and so I got to preach a couple times, and our team bought a cow, and we were eating on that cow all week, and, and uh, we began to eat, and, you know, we started noticing stuff, and as we began to eat, some of uh, the team began to kind of whisper, like, leave some extra food on your plate. And the reason was, is as we, the Americans, would finish our plate, they would take it to the kitchen. And rather than throwing off the leftovers in the trash, the mothers of the house would set it out on the windowsill. And the little kids of the neighborhood and the orphanage would come by and take the other half of our tuna fish sandwich or whatever it was, and they would take a bite. And they wouldn't just take a bite, they would line up in a row, and one would take a bite, and he would pass it to the next one. And they would take a bite and pass it to the next one. And you can't unsee that. And, I, and sometimes I go to places, and you know, you go to Texas Roadhouse or Applebee's, we just went out uh, this last weekend, and you're like, man, I am so stuffed, I'm sick. And I got to thinking about that on living on daily bread, living on just enough to be fully satisfied in the moment. And what would it be like for us as Americans to truly live 
on daily bread, to truly trust God for each and every day to satisfy my soul. Because as Americans, we are so full of so many things. We're so full of so many things that our souls have become sick. We've got more cars and entertainment and TV and stuff and to-do lists and shops and sheds and hobbies and habits and long work hours and long weekends. We have so many things and so many movies and, and I don't even know how many subscriptions to things that we have. We have so much. But what would it be like to just have a soul that is satisfied each and every day fully on Jesus. What would it be like not to have so much that our souls are sick? What would it look like for God to feed your soul each and every day and to be satisfied? You know, the word greed means an intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, status, and food. Greed wants the security of satisfaction in the moment, but what greed does is it says, I don't want to just be satisfied today. I want to accumulate as much as I can so I am certain I'll be satisfied for days to come. I want enough money now, so I'll be set up for later. I want enough food now, like when we hoard all that food, I want enough food now so that I know that I've got leftovers for the rest of the week. And I'm going to eat on those leftovers. But there's something about biblical Christianity that means that each and every day, we can't just come to church on Sunday and think, I'm going to get enough leftovers in this house on this day that I'm going to be satisfied till next Sunday. See, in Christianity, we don't live on leftovers. Jesus is our daily bread. Now, I hope you'll take this sermon and munch on it after a while as an appetizer. But this will not be enough to get you through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday because Jesus is our daily bread. He's enough to satisfy you each and every day and each and every day he will be sufficient for that day. The daily bread you eat today will grow stale tomorrow and the next day. There's no refrigerators that we have in this Christianity to keep it going for you for a couple of weeks. Man, sometimes we come to Christianity and come to church once a month and think, I'll get enough Jesus on this Sunday. I'll come back next month and then I'll be okay. We're starving because our souls are so full on so many other things, we're sick. There is a daily bread that satisfies each and every day. I think sometimes uh, we want Christ to save our souls, but not satisfy our souls. Sometimes we want a Christianity that saves our soul. We want a Christ who saves our soul, but doesn't satisfy our souls. We want to get out of hell, and we want to trust God for the, how we're going to die, but we don't want to trust God for how to live. And that's, that's the Bible Belt. We want to get out of hell card, and we want God to save our soul, but not satisfy our soul each and every day. We want God to, to walk with us at that last moment of our life. God, I want you to end my life well. That last couple breaths, God, those are yours. But what about every breath in between? Each day, Jesus is enough. And this is my statement for today. If we are not satisfied in Christ, we'll not be saved by Christ. We could say it this way. If I am saved by Christ, I will be satisfied by Christ. 
because a salvation in Christ is satisfaction in Christ. That Christ is not just sufficient to save my soul, he is sufficient to satisfy my soul. He will save my soul, but in saving my soul, he will satisfy my soul each and every day. He's not just here to save you, he's here to satisfy you. And take that walk with you to a whole new level. So look with me in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. This is, we find ourselves here out with the people of Israel. They're at, after the Exodus, after the Red Sea, after the cloud. God's given them manna one day. He gave them quail, and he's given them the Ten Commandments. And, and there's been 11 months they've now been at the base of Sinai building the Ark of the Covenant and building all the things of the priests and the priests and getting ready to take the promised land. And they finally just now blew the trumpet, and now they've begun to leave that place where they have met with God, and they have been commissioned and ordained as the people of of God and God has brought them through the water and the fire they have been baptized into the presence of God and they are going out commissioned as the people of God and just a month or two in here's where we find ourselves now the rabble who were among them had greedy cravings somebody say greedy greedy cravings and the sons of Israel also wept again and said who will give us meat to eat we remember the fish we used to eat for free everybody say free Everything free thing ain't a good thing. Free things in Egypt. He said the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at, and that's important. There's nothing to look at except this manna. Now, the manna was like coriander seed. Its appearance was that of uh, bedellium, which is kind of like this clear, crystally looking thing. And coriander seeds are really small things. So this, they were like uh, flaky little white balls that were clearish white, okay? And it would cover the ground. And the people would roam about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or pound it like mortar, boil it in a pot, make some loaves with it. Taste was like the taste of cake baked with oil. Or if you ate it natural, it would taste like wafers and honey. And when the dew came up on the camp at night, the manna would come down with it. Now, God would provide manna every single day, and then he would provide it twice on the last day of the week or before the Sabbath, and they would get it double on that day. He would give them a double portion on the night before the Sabbath so that they wouldn't have to work, and on the Sabbath day, they could have joy, enjoyment resting in his presence. To make that a foundation of their society was to take a day off from work and rest in him, in just his presence. And he would provide so much so that they didn't have to cook on that day, that it wasn't about doing laundry, you just wanted to rest in him. He said, that's the foundation of this society as we go to the promised land. Rest in me. I'm sufficient. And so they begin, though, to crave meat. Now, when he says crave, he says, my appetite is gone. Now, here's the catch. Manna was superfood. You were never hungry after eating manna. It was sufficient. You would eat it, and it would be like the perfect diet food. And uh, this is going to go a little too far, maybe, but uh, some Jewish historians think they never even had to go to the bathroom because for 40 years because the manna was sufficient to supply all their dietary needs. Now, that's a legend, okay? That's not in the Bible. But, but just think about it. Not too far, but whatever. It's so sufficient. It was like every vitamin you could imagine that if you ate it, you weren't hungry. You didn't need anything else. God alone. And they said, but yet all we see, the craving, the appetite of the eyes. Man, I could go for a juicy steak. Not that I'm hungry for it, but wouldn't that be good? I don't need it, but I want it. I'm satisfied, but I have a craving for something else. You ever be totally full on something, but then you have to pass Dairy Queen on the way home and say, you know, 
I'm full, but I could totally go for a Dairy Queen blizzard. Now, so, amen. Now we know what you're talking about. I'm full, I'm satisfied, but who couldn't, right? And so that's them. And Moses, the Bible says, was burdened by them. He was miserable. And the Lord says, hey, take 70 elders, give them the Holy Spirit. And they do. And the Bible says this in Numbers eleven twenty says that I'm going to give them so much meat for a whole month. It comes out of their nose and makes them nauseated because they've rejected that the Lord is sufficient. Verse 31, now wind burst forth from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and dropped them beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on that side. And about two cubits deep, about three foot off the ground, the quail were flapping around. And the people spent all night that day, all, or all that day, all night, and the next day. That's very important. You can come back to that. And they gathered the quail. The one who got the least gathered 10 omers, which is about 10 donkey loads. So they came home with 10 donkeys full of quail. All right? Those of you who are hunters, that's a lot of quail. They speak, and they spread them out for all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with severe plague, so that their name was uh, Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of greed. And there they buried people who'd been greedy. They buried them and named the place Graves of Greed. We're all on this Christian journey. What is God trying to do for you and for me along this way as we're getting to heaven? The first step for us is he's saying, I want you to leave self-sufficiency, to realize that I am, you know, you see, leaving Egypt was hard because slavery became routine. It was slavery. You know, sometimes in life, you can, those old bad habits can become so routine, that negativity, that gossip, that fear, that old addiction, that old habit, that old way of thinking and doing. I know that was slavery, but I was comfortable in that. Sometimes our old pains, our old wounds have become a friend to us, and we keep going back to those things because that's all we know. That's all we know how to live in the hurt. We only know how to live in the habit. We only know how to live in that place of depression or anxiety or fear where I'm living in control. At least I'm in control or I think I'm in control of my life. I'm at least in control of my habits. I'm at least in control of what I think I'm doing. And Christianity is not easy either. Because God is calling you out of sin, and while the flesh is it's craving this food, it's a craving affection, the flesh is craving pleasure, security, and comfort, wealth, and power. And the flesh always wants to be soothed. It always wants to be comfortable. It always wants to think it's in control. And God is pulling us out of self-sufficiency, which is slavery, and saying, put you into my dependency. Put you into a place where each and every day you've got to trust me to satisfy your soul. Each and every day you have to trust me. And CR, over across the road to Celebrate Recovery, we say that we are powerless. We are powerless over our own behavior, thoughts, and affections, and that we have the tendency to do the wrong thing, and that our lives have become unmanageable, and that we have to give our wills and cares over to a God who loves us and who is powerful and is sufficient, that we have to admit my life without God is a mess. And Jesus said, we have to deny ourselves." He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you want to lose your life for my sake, give up your own self, you will find life. You see, in some sense you think, well, God's trying to kill me. And that's true. He's trying to kill the flesh part of you. And here's the thing. If God calls you to give up friends, if he calls you to give up habits, if he calls you to give up going to the bars, if he calls you to give up social media for a season, if even he calls you to give up food for a season, He's not trying to kill you in the sense that you're going to die, but in fact, you're going to learn how to live. 
He's teaching you how to live. Hey, come out of that place. Come out of that way of thinking. Come out of that way of doing and die to your own control and start living unto me and I'll show you a better way of living, of thinking. I'll show you a better way of feeling. You might think a part of you is dying, but he's teaching you to live. The second step is he's teaching you to learn to walk by faith. So Egypt's hard, they're coming out of it, and I say, all right, 11 short months, I've been, in, I've been with this God. I've been figuring it out. I'm settling Sinai. You know what? They got so settled in 11 months that as soon as they started moving forward, they said, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. I liked going to, I'm God, we're out of Egypt. I liked being at the mountain. I liked where Moses coming down, and I, we made the idol thing, but you can get over that. But in the Lord, come on, you know, I got the rock here, and, and we're happy. Well, this isn't the journey. This isn't where I want you to stay. I got a promised land. We've got heaven, church. God's not called you to stay at just salvation. He's going to call you to walk by faith through some wilderness journeys, past some enemies, going some up some mountains and down some valleys. This is a journey to heaven. And he's called you to walk this journey with him by faith, not to just get settled on the other side of the sea after baptism and just say, look, I got baptized, I'm saved, I'm good. He said, no, we're at a journey. There's something we're gonna do along the way. And part of that journey is teaching you to trust him a little more. You see, faith is the currency of heaven. Faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. You gotta believe he's gonna reward you and that he's there, he's gonna be with you along the way. And then even James says, the testing of our faith produces endurance. That faith is the step-by-step process that you are moving forward in your Christianity. You are moving forward in your relationship with God. And so the question is, how hard has it been for you lately? Because it's supposed to be. If this was an easy thing to be a Christian, everybody would be doing it. You're called to walk by faith, called to walk further into his presence. And I'll say it again, so many want to trust God on how to die, but not how to live. God, you saved me, but don't make me do that. God, you saved me, but don't make me walk that way. God, uh, I'm having a hard day. I want to handle this person how I want to handle this person. Right? Or, hey, God, let me fight my own battle here. I think I got this one. Or, God, I, I'm having a bad day. I just need to take a load off. Or, God, I need more affirmation in my life. I thought I was enough affirmation. God, I need more support in my life. If people would just support, I thought I was enough support for you. God, I just need people to understand me. I thought if I understood you, am I enough? You see how we do it on our own a lot? And we don't even know it. I wish somebody would just care. God cares. Who cares who cares? If God cares, God cares. He's the God of the universe. And if God cares, isn't that enough? Oh, but I really need someone to just stroke my back, you know, every now and then and feel good about myself. What if God sent his own son to die for you? Is that not enough for you? Come on, can we get real? How much is God's affection worth towards you? How much is God's love towards you? What are you measuring here? So, well, you know what we're doing? We're trying to live on leftovers that don't satisfy. Man, if I could just have packed up some of those onions and some of those leeks, I don't even know what a leek is. If I could have just packed up some of those things and, and just took it with me, if I had grandma's grits and tomato gravy to last me forever. I had tomato gravy this week. You know, tomato gravy, and I could just get some things and I could just get a cart and I'll pull it behind me through life. And some of those things that I think I need, those warm comforts, 
of when I was in control of my life, if I had some of those warm comforts where things were going good, and I had a good job, and I had good friends, and good relationship, and everything was going great, if I could just keep some of those memories and take it on this journey, I can just open that Tupperware box out, and mm, it's hard right now, I know, God, but I can take that thing out anytime I want, those old milk cookies, and just eat and be satisfied. I got enough in you, God, but I need a little Dairy Queen on the side. Does he satisfy us? Is he enough? Is he enough in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our affections, in the midst of our trials and mountains and valleys and tribulations? And he was trying to teach them, walk by faith. You see, there's a moment where as a Christian, we have to learn to live satisfied in God. You know, and sometimes in a diet, you have got to start making yourself eat another way so you can get used to it. I grew up in a home where we drank Dr. Pepper like water. I think it's great. But apparently you can't do that anymore because it's bad for you. I don't know what they taught us in the 80s and 90s because it was all fine then, but now you can't drink Dr. Pepper every day because you'll have all kinds of stuff, all right? So I, as a 20-something year old, had to learn to stop drinking Dr. Pepper every day uh, because I was told not to, and then to start drinking water. I don't like water. It tastes horrible. I just let you know. Um, and so, and, and then I you know, rebuked the devil and they said, give up sweet tea. So, you know, that's just where I'm at right now. But I'm walking daily. But sometimes you have to learn to get off of something and onto something else. If, if you could take my kids right now, I have two little girls. If you would take my kids and if you could get a farm-raised chicken, batter it, butter it, cut it up, feed it everything ever it wanted to do, and, and you could get Aunt Jemima herself and come and make some good uh, batter and put it in there and fry it and give them some chicken nuggets, home farm-raised chicken nuggets. They were free-range chicken. People think that's free. Anyway, but they, you put it in front of them and then you go get McDonald's. And you put a McDonald's chicken nugget and a homemade chicken nugget. How much do you think my little four-year-old is going to eat that other one? She's going to go for McDonald's, the fake stuff because all she's ever known at our Harris residence is the fake chicken nuggets. And that's what we know. Sometimes we only know in our life fake joy, fake peace, fake faith. That's all we know. Fake religion, fake trust, fake love. You don't sometimes know the real thing till you let go of the fake thing. Till you really are only trusting God for love. Till you're really only trusting God for joy, for peace. Say, I don't have any peace in this world, that's good, because now you only got God. I really don't got anybody loves me in this world, that's good, because all you got now is God. You're gonna learn something real cool in this moment right now. You're gonna start learn something that you don't have to trust anybody else but Him. You say, Well, I want you to make it go through this. He says, Well, I'm trying to tell you something. All you need is me. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. It says, You shall remember the way the Lord your God has now led you in this wilderness these 40 years. Moses saying this hindsight. He says, Now, what did he do that for? That he might humble you, testing you, so that he could know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. He let you be, this good God, he let you be hungry. Why? Because he was going to feed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That he is saying to you and to me, everything you need is in Jesus. 
Everything you need, every affection, every care, everything you need is in him. And he says, I'm trying to tell you something. You've got to get hungry for heaven. So many of us are hungry for the things of this world, but I says, I want you to get hungry for heaven. You've got to have a new taste. Your bellies are completely full of manna, and yet you still were craving the things of the past life. You were craving the flesh. And look what happens to the dark side of doubt. God gave them over to their desires, to the consequence of the carnal. And there was the work of God that was provided every single day outside their doors. It would fall, and they would eat it. They didn't have to go nowhere. It just was there. The manna, the bread of heaven, was there every day. The Bible says this was angelic food there every day. And he would even give it twice on the second to last day of the week. On Friday, they'd get it twice so they could rest and not work and just enjoy Jesus on, on Saturday for a whole day, nothing but him. No laundry, no dishes, no mowing the yard. If you had firewood, it was a capital punishment. Listen to me. It was a capital punishment to even do the dishes on Saturday, the Sabbath for them. Because I want you to rest and know I'm sufficient for you. And what do they do? The Bible says that they crave, they visually crave something beyond the satisfaction of God. They craved about going backwards, so they begin to come, uh, find another way. He says, fine, if you want this, go get it. It's an, a day's journey that way and a day's journey that way. They had, listen to me, they had to leave the presence and security of the cloud and the fire. They had to leave the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, and they had to walk by their own efforts two days, a day's journey away. Then they had to collect by their own efforts, and then they began to collect so much more leftovers than they ever could have. Ten donkeys load by their own efforts. They got the things they craved, and they had to load to bear it all the way back to the place they thought they were safe again. Then they began to gorge themselves on it. They began to gorge themselves on it. They had more meat. They they didn't have refrigerators. They had more meat they could ever do anything with. Why? Because they craved fleshly things. Things that didn't satisfy. Things that were temporary. Things they had to work to get. Things they had to go outside the presence of God to get. And sometimes in life, we're the very same way. In this church, in our own Christianity, we can go through life and not even know it and say, God, I'm looking for affection out where I will go find it in other relationships outside of the relationships you have for me. I will turn on TV and entertainment I know that is not good for me. And I will walk outside your presence and go gorge myself on Netflix and binge watch those TV shows. I'm guilty of it too. And we'll come back in to Sunday and think, oh, I can be satisfied in God now. But we are so full on fleshly things things. When we come back, there's nothing left. Let me even tell you this. We were out one day, the Bible says, another day and a night. They missed the manna that morning because they were out there. They missed the manna, the daily bread. They missed it because they went out by their own affections and cares and affairs to work for fleshly things. And nobody ate the manna that day. You see, every day, Jesus has a word for you. He has a Bible story for you. He has a prophecy for you. He has something in his scripture that's there for you to take and eat on. It's enough. It's sufficient for that. You don't got to go find it yourself. You don't got to go find joy in other people or love in other people. You don't go have to find all these peace and relaxation and, and rest and other things. It's in him. 
And he has said, it's right here outside your tent. All you gotta come out is eat. Trust by faith, I'm sufficient. Trust by faith, I'm enough. See, we're leaving the presence of God to fill ourselves by our own works, to satisfy the cravings of our eyes. And why do we do that? Because we doubt that God can still supply us all the needs of our soul. Peter says, you guys, the time has passed for you to live for fleshly things. It's time to live for the will of God. It means changing our appetite to what God provides is solely sufficient for us. It's leaving a kind of Christianity that's growing increasing rate in America post-COVID that says, I can come one Sunday a month, get enough leftovers to last me the rest of the month. You're starving. You're soul sick. And you think it's because of all kinds of other stuff in your life. It's because you're not eating daily bread. Christians don't live on leftovers. Jesus is sufficient. His presence, his word is here. And I love coffee more increasingly now in old age. I don't know what it is about getting older and you love coffee more and more. And you know what? I, I, I want it every day. But I need my cup of Jesus more than I need my cup of Joe. Right? I need a cup of Jesus every day. I need to bask in his presence. I need to read his word. I need to talk to him. I need to be with him. I need to throw my affections onto him. I need to throw my problems onto him. And I need him to commune with me and talk to me and be with me. And I need to slow down and get off of fleshly things some in this world. I need to take a Sabbath day and rest in him and say, I'm not doing worldly things today. I'm just going to be with him. It might mean turning the TV off and turning off social media. It might just be saying, I'm going to do nothing on Sunday but go to church and rest and just be satisfied in him because our souls are sick in America today because we don't believe Jesus satisfies. John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If Christ has saved my soul, he is able to satisfy my soul. If Christ has saved my soul, he will satisfy my soul.